Um, look after yourself, mate. Yeah. You enjoy your beans. <laughs> so seriously, do you not remember what uh, I told you about APSS? Oh, you've made up acronyms again. Excuse me. Excuse me, son. Does this business look made up to you? No, it doesn't. Do you know why? Because of ASS. You do realise what that sounds like, right? ASS. A smile sells. A smile sells. Why are you not writing this down? The talk of the street. 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 Welcome to episode 262 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that is starting to think that Jerry the Tai Chi guy is a force of evil and his presence on the show is to spearhead a plan for Super Soap Week when the entire street simultaneously shits themselves. I'm Gavin. The brown noise. (laughs) And fuck Bob Iger. Who's Bob Iger and why should we fuck him? He's He's the head of Disney... And oh, that guy? Yeah. The, the guy that gets paid $20 million a year? That right, guy? Right, and said, we'll just wait them out until they're all starving and losing their homes. And then they'll come crawling back to us. That's the Disney way. That's the guy. That's the guy. I remember when everybody was so happy that he was coming back to take over. Not anymore. <laughs> I don't remember being happy about that. Ron Perlman has already made a, a response video <laughs> to... Uh, to the idea that it's okay to starve people out so that they will let you scan their likenesses so you only have to pay them for one day and then use their likeness for hundreds of years to come. Perpetuity. Yes. Hmm. Yes. That doesn't seem that doesn't seem ethical, I it, guess. It doesn't. It's like how do you sleep on your big bed of twenty million dollars a year, Bob right. Iger? How do you sleep? How do you sleep, sir? Comfortably, I would guess. Apparently, uh, uh, at least one person has has discovered uh, Zaslav, the the HBO guy or the Max guy, as I guess he is now known. Somebody sent him a Venmo request of thirty thousand dollars because he cancelled Raised by Wolves. So, people are not happy with Hollywood. Well, with the Hollywood bigwigs, mm. they're okay with the actors. And the writers. We're okay with the actors and the writers. We, we stand with the WGA and SAG-AFTRA and all other unions. We're union people, even though neither one of us belong to a union currently. No, this is all for a different meeting. The meeting <laughs> down by the docks, isn't it? It is. Yeah. <laughs> so how are you otherwise? Oh, well, it's been quite a week. What a week. What a week. What a week. The farmhouse auction has begun. Oh, wait a minute. Now, regular listeners of this Coronation Street podcast will be quite thrilled to hear that the farmhouse auction is, <laughs> is now underway. You didn't say auction talk. Oh, auction talk. Thank you. There you go. Sorry. <laughs> yes. Yes, it's fine. I, I went to work on Saturday last week just to get the thing finished. So it is out in the world. So anybody within the sound of my voice can, can now bid on somebody's grandmother somebody's grandmother or the picture of somebody's oh, grandmother okay. 
Grumpy Cat. So it's like quick in the auction that you're running here. <laughs> I suddenly feel like I should be removing your theme tune from my little soundboard <laughs> here. I don't think I approve. Um, grumpy cows and and headless bunnies, amongst other what things. What kind of farmhouse <laughs> is this? What kind of and Texas scythes. Chainsaw Massacre? Three scythes in a lot. Nobody's bid on the scythes yet. I'm very disappointed. Well, there's a good reason for that. It's 2023. Yeah, but they're cool looking. And you can cosplay as death. Yikes. Who doesn't want to cosplay as death? The Terry Pratchett death. Not the Neil Gaiman death. Because she doesn't carry a scythe. She does have an onk around her neck, though. Very good. So is that going well? Yeah, so far so good. So it's very exciting. And also... Epic Auctions and Estate Sales has a new employee starting this week. Our son Benny has has joined. Has exhausted all the other <laughs> all the other potential job opportunities in town and is now working with you. Yes, he applied lots of places. He's all a nepo baby. All these places. He's a nepo baby. <laughs> all these places that you know have these signs up saying "Bear with us." We are understaffed, and please, please come and get a job here with us. He applied all those places. Not one phone call. Not one response. Somebody said to me, oh, McDonald's will email him right away within the same day. He got two text messages saying, thanks for signing up, and then thanks for applying. We'll, we'll call you. And they never did. Have you seen them check his emails? Yes, and I also check his emails. I'm, I'm glad for that. Let's keep that between ourselves, all right? <laughs> and everyone listening. They won't tell anybody. So, yeah. You guys are cool, right? Okay, good. <laughs> How was your week? I know it was my week. It was long. This was the first five-day week in a while, and it was... It felt it. Hmm. You, so, don't, you don't have to take a five-day week ever for the rest of the year, do you? How many more How many vacation weeks? days? Another twenty-six days. It'll be close. Yeah, I, I could probably take Friday off from now until the end of the year. Yeah, but then people would be mad at you. Yeah, and then people would remember how many I'm more on, vacation days you get than everybody else. Oh, they don't have to remember. I tell them. <laughs> it's the first thing I say when I introduce <laughs> myself to somebody new. Hi, I'm Gavin, and I have more vacation days than you. And I get you? eight weeks of holiday. <laughs> Pleased to meet you. <laughs> like, people need a reason to hate me. <laughs> oh, well, shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that Cory news. We were bummed when they left, but Claire Sweeney has assured fans that she and Maureen Littman are already back to work. Yep. And their characters will be back on the cobbles in August. So it it was a brief respite. Yeah, that was brief. I was expected to be longer. More into the fall before they came back, but August is still summer, really. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's summer until September twenty first. So technically. Hmm. According to the sun. Not the newspaper. No. Fuck them. Yes, absolutely. And Bob Iger. Yes. Fuck the son and Bob Iger. And Zaslov or whatever his name is over at HBO Max. I'm sorry. Max. 
Timothy Crank, who played Dean Turnbull, is in for a busy time as he'll be returning to Corey as Dean Turnbull. What? And starting a stint on Hollyoaks as a character called Kenneth. He's busy, busy. Do you remember who Dean Turnbull was? No idea. He was the guy that stole a car and then left Abby on the side of the road. Oh, for those two episodes. <laughs> Of course, why don't I remember that guy from two episodes? He left Abby on the side years of ago. He left Abby on the side of the road when she was going into labor. I was more concerned with her jeans and the dry cleaning costs. What a villain. Villainous villainous. Although Kenneth looks nice. So hopefully Kenneth over in Hollyoaks won't be a villain like Dean Turnbull. <laughs> I don't think we've ever learned his last name. It's Turnbull. But the actor's it's last name. Dean. Yeah, the actor's last name is Crank. I'm surprised they don't use that. Dean Crank. Anthony Crank. Anthony Crank. But Carter would be Dean Crank. Yeah. Hmm. And finally, well, he's only just returned. We're gutted that Peter and his number two shirt are taking <laughs> off again as... It's a meme. As Chris Gascoigne takes an extended break to pursue other projects... Including playing Captain Hook in a panto. Yep, he's panto in. That's the perfect role for him. He looks like Captain Hook. And he has an affiliation with the sea. Yes. That's why he looks like Captain Hook. Mm -hmm. Because he's a Navy man. Through and through. He looks like a Navy man. Somebody had a um, picture of a whole bunch of old G.I. Joes on, um, on Facebook the other day in one of my, in one of my groups. And they had Shipwreck, who, of course, was always my favorite because he was the one G.I. Joe who was a member of the Navy. And he kind of looks like Chris Gascoigne, the, the um, G.I. Joe Shipwreck. Huh? They have similar beards. I always thought he looked like my dad, too. G.I. Joe, not, not oh, Chris. Yeah, yeah. Peter from Cornish Street definitely does not look no. like your dad. no. But when you're five, all men with beards look like your dad. Captain Birdseye. <laughs> yes. Yep. Very much so. But not Captain... I'm gradually turning into Captain Birdseye. I've, I've made my peace with that. But not Captain Feathersword. Poor Carla and her empty house. And that's Corey News. There are concerns that this may be the last we see of Peter. He has, a sh the, the assurance is there that while this will be an extended leave, mm -hmm. it won't be forever. So, he's the seventh guy to play Peter. He is. Let's all remember that. But he's been Peter for the last 25 years or something like that. It's been a while. Yeah. Yeah, so essentially he's Tom Baker and, and we're going to get... Oh, Sylvester McCoy. <laughs> Oh, good God. Actually, no, Tom Baker went, went to, to... Peter Davidson. Yes, yeah. I was going to say. Peter Davidson, not Pete Davidson. Very different people. Oh, people are confusing those two all <laughs> the time, I'm sure. Only one of them is... Anyway. Da only uh, one of them anyway. is David Tennant's father-in-law. <laughs> anyway. And only one of them is left with Kim Kardashian. The, the thought is, maybe this is the last that we see of Peter. Assurances be damned. Hmm. When you think all the shit that Peter's gone through uh -huh. in the 20 odd years that he's been in the show, and he's not always been in the show, he's had little breaks and stuff and, right. and whatnot, but he has been a character that's been at the centre of 
quite a number of things. He's in the middle of the bigamy story at the moment. He's married one of them and been kicked out by that one. And in a few weeks' time on the classic Corey timeline, he will marry another one mm-hmm. and get kicked out by them as well. <laughs> so, and then Simon will come into... Right, existence. Into existence and I think... To only occasionally show up on the show. Yeah, and I think in a couple of months' time, at least... When something bad happens to another character. <laughs> right. So... And at this point in classic Corey's still drinking, so he's got the whole alcoholism mm-hmm. thing to go through. He's got the whole Leanne thing to go through, the whole Toya thing to go the whole through. Leanne thing to go through. So, you know, there are no end of big stories that he's been involved in, and maybe this is just the natural end of it. It's kind of sad, though, because he's finally made his peace and has this happy life with Carla. That we never see. Yeah. Or that we see very occasionally. Mm-hmm. And that, that makes me kind of sad because it, it's kind of nice when characters on the show have happy lives, even in the background. We actually got to see this week, we got to see Nina and Asha like actually together and, and smooching and stuff. And we rarely get to see that. It's like we never get to see happy couples. It's almost like it's a soap opera or something. Right, who'd have thunk it? Who'd have thunk it? I'd just like to mention as well that I've been watching Hijack on the Apple TV, which stars Idris Elba, and James Burroughs as a co-star of his, who obviously was Dr. Ali. It's quite funny seeing him on something else. Ryan's kind of brother. That has Idris Elba in it. Well, it's like, remember when he turned up in Fighting With My Family, one of my favourite movies. Yeah, good for him though. He yeah. hasn't really said very much so far in what I've seen and I don't know yet if he's a goodie or a baddie. Ooh. I have my thoughts but I will keep them to myself. Yes. Alright, let's see what people have got to say about us after your call for criticism <laughs> in our feedback section called Everyone's a Critic. And now for the YouTubes. So Wendy dropped us a line on Facebook saying... Seriously with Gemma. Next thing, the house has a gas explosion. And then she posted a gif of a budgie running away from an explosion, which I found delightful. (laughs) And Heather on Twitter said, No idea why Gemma and Chesney are so skint all the time. They have 211 jobs between them. They would be eligible for income support, etc. They live in a tiny two-up, two-down house that they rent from the council. Oh, I do wish that storyliners would research a little bit better. And that's a good point about the income support that I had. Excellent, excellent point. It kind of comes up this week. Oh, because she goes to a food bank, yes. Right. And I assume the food bank is run by the council. Because God knows Billy isn't running one from the church. It's just a soup. You get soup or nothing. (laughs) He's the opposite of the soup Nazi. Or kick or death. Yes, he's like, only soup for you. <laughs> and finally, Daisy wrote in to say, hi, pals. Now, hi, I, Daisy. I guess this means that maybe the criticism isn't going to be all that critical. Damn it. And she says, as far as criticism is concerned, I have none. I can't give you some because <laughs> I love it all. What I also love is watching the episodes in one go like Helen does. And now that the process is not complete without your podcast. So thanks for your dedication. Just a wee bit of gratitude. And we love that. Thank you very Aww, much indeed. That so, is lovely. So, whew, we got through Criticism Week. If you have something negative to say, join us next year for Criticism Week 2024. Not enough incels listen to us, I guess. I'm just so determined to get... <laughs> 
to get mail. <laughs> oh well, let's move on to well podcast for coffee. We're drinking our own coffees this week. <gasps> I am still in the Canada Dry Zero. And I'm drinking cranberry juice because I am a lady. The talk of the street is and will always be free on your podcast provider and on the YouTubes. Remember the YouTubes? No. But if you think our show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, and if you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffee by going to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. You can also sign up to be a friend of the podcast through the same link where for as little as two bucks a month you can get a mention in the closing credits of every single episode. And remember, you can always support the podcast for free and get us in front of new listeners by liking, subscribing, rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts and we'll be very grateful, won't we, Helen? Yes. And now, this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Well, welcome to last year tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Captain of the Pie Police. Captain of the Pie Police. Is this Roy? That's right, this was George describing oh. the differences between a shepherd's pie, a cottage pie, and a Cumberland pie. Ooh. Which led Eileen to ask, who made him Captain of the Pie Police? Do you know the differences between those three pies? Well... Shepherd's pie is ground lamb. Right. Cottage pie is ground beef. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea what a Cumberland pie is. And Cumberland pie has got cheese on it. Oh! This was our first podcast in three weeks. Wow. And we missed it. Not one jot. <laughs> <laughs> We'd bought lapel mics to record on the road, but thought, fuck that, we're on holiday. And you went further by not even watching the two weeks that we missed. I still haven't watched this episode. Well done you. That's dedication. So that podcast was really recapping three weeks worth of Coronation Street. Aye, aye, aye. And we did it in under two hours. Because prob- I didn't watch it half of it. It probably helped that you hadn't watched it. Yep. Tyrone and Fizz try to keep their rekindled relationship a secret, which results in him getting a freeway weekend away with Phil with two L's. Stephen's presence on the street continues to cause headaches for David, so Gail arranges a family meal to clear the air. Tim goes out of his way to make sure Sally's birthday is one to remember. Aye. Zidane covers for homeless Stu when he continues to react badly to the snub from his daughter. Sick of the scaffolding outside her house, Aggie convinces Ed to help Steve and his roof issues. Sean is concerned when it appears that not everyone is as excited as him to welcome Dylan back to the street. Abby is upset when she reads Wendy's notes of her progress looking after Alfie. The bin strike has been resolved, but Maria finds that some people are still angered by her involvement in council affairs, while Kelly continues to distribute her dad's ill-gotten money. George knows his pies. Phil needs longer polo shirts. And Nina can ID an air tag at five paces. Our moment of the week was Phil holding up the bin box on the street. And the boring moment of the week was David banging on about Stephen. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street, this time... Last year. And yet Stephen is still here. Yeah, it's been, about, it's been about a year. It's been about a year since he came back. Oh well, we will take a quick break and then we'll be right back with this week's recap. Welcome back 
Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Now, I'm having to use so many stings in this week's episode that sadly there will be no time for any jokes. That's what you say. Our first storyline is Don't Call Me Damon's Baby. On Monday, Nick, Steve and Paul congregate outside the cabin. The headline on this on today's paper is about a local gangster being killed in a suspected gangland hit. Nick practically paps his unders as Paul reads from the paper no one has been named yet until the families have been informed. Typical sensationalist journalism from the Weather Gazette. That's true. In the factory, Michael is meditating and getting all zen at his desk as he's interrupted by Sarah and Owen who mock him openly. Sarah thinks that that calmness will be useful ahead of their big presentation but Owen pulls a rug from under Sarah by announcing that she'll be doing the pitch to his boss. Owen's boss, Josie, is incredibly racist. (laughs) Nick runs round to the law office with some extra weight in his undercarriage. Nick reckons that this is definitely about Damon, despite the fact the paper doesn't mention anyone until the families have been informed. See, this is what happens with irresponsible journalism. That's true. Adam poo-poo's it. All he did was tell Niall, and if Niall decided to kill Damon, well, that's Niall's business. And Damon's. (laughs) Later, though, Adam goes round to see Nick. He's quizzed Craig... <clears throat> who was being the least corrupt, corrupt cop he can be and refused to divulge, which meant that he didn't know. Nick starts to cry, imagining Damon on a slab in the mortuary. Adam tells Nick to keep his mouth shut if the coppers come round, and Nick isn't all that sure that he's going to comply with that request. Right, yeah, he's like, wait a second, you want me to keep Stoom because you want me to protect your family? But if I do that and the cops find out that I've done that, then that, that puts me and Leanne and Sam into the lurch. Mm-hmm. And also, I guess, Simon. Right. It's like, why is your family more important than mine? And then Adam has to remind him that Sarah is technically also her family, his family because <laughs> they are siblings. That's right. Yeah. Back at the factory, Sarah is actually earning her money by doing a presentation to Owen's horrible racist boss, Josie. Who's Irish. Pregnant women are incredible, shouts Sarah. So let's start spoiling them. Josie thinks that this pitch is the best she's ever seen and she wants Sarah to join her on a whistle-stop tour of the US making the same pitch to prospective buyers who are probably also racist. It is America. Sarah goes to the rovers where Dee Dee appears looking for the goss. Sarah tells her about the pitch and the prospect of touring the US. Sarah doesn't think she can do that with a baby, especially uh, when she isn't sure she has Adam's support. Um, you, you can travel... And you can fly up until, like, the last trimester. You have, like, six months of travel, Sarah. This is not, like, the 1800s where nope. people say thought... It, say it properly. <laughs> I don't know how to say that properly. <laughs> say it how did... like a man with a really bushy moustache. The 1800s. 1890s, I think you said, wasn't it? I just said 1800s. Yeah, okay. okay. Yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> Where people thought that, you know, women women would, women were so fragile that they'd lose their baby if, or they'd lose their ability to have babies if they rode a horse. It's, it's Well, it jiggles everything about, doesn't it? I mean, not ever having had a... A baby growing inside me. This is true. Well, I've had a couple of curries for I've thought it's been close. 
all that jiggling about just doesn't feel like it's doing anybody any good. It's, it's And the same, I think, would be on a plane. It's really not that much more jiggling about than just walking. <laughs> if you think about it. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. Yeah, I can see your point. <laughs> it just it feels like one of those things that you probably shouldn't do. Like, eating tuna, that doesn't feel like something that you probably shouldn't do. But riding a horse feels like something you probably shouldn't do. Yeah, you don't want to eat tuna. Too much mercury. Mm. Riding a horse is fine. That's that's Dr. Helen. <laughs> Dr. Helen's not a real doctor. <laughs> From the 1890s. Oh, in that case, she absolutely is a real doctor. Of course I'm not. I'm a woman. Which in reminds the 1890s. me of how much I'm looking forward to Barbie. <laughs> and Oppenheimer. Which one do we see first? That's the question. I think we're going to have to see Oppenheimer first because Benny wants to see Oppenheimer, but he doesn't want to see Barbie. And it's his birthday when they both come out. Hmm. Because Stelia has asked me this as well. and She's not even back yet. She's like, okay, what's the plan for Barbie and Oppenheimer? Which one do we see first? It's hilarious that the whole family is like, this is the great debate. I think we see Oppenheimer late afternoon and then see one of the last showings of Barbie where the cinema's likely to be quieter and less filled with yes. annoying people. Yes. We shall wear pink, though. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Tell us what you're doing for Barbenheimer. Right, yeah. Anyway, so Sarah goes home. Adam's already on the lash. And when Sarah goes to get changed into something a little more comfortable, Adam starts snooping on the phone looking for a contact for Damon. But of course, he gets caught. She's shocked and disappointed, so he's forced to explain how he got Damon scared out of town and how a body has turned up. Sarah reminds Adam that this was all unnecessary because she told him there was nothing going on anymore and he would have remembered that if he trusted her, which he obviously doesn't. Nope. She storms off to the room and later he makes a cup of tea to say sorry for potentially arranging to have the man who may have knocked her up killed when she comes out of the room in her white dressing gown and announcing that she is bleeding. No horse was involved. See, that's what happens without a horse. (laughs) So maybe you should ride horses. Strengthen your pelvic muscles. So they hightail it to the hospital where the nurse puts them at ease and does an ultrasound which finds the baby's heartbeat strong and healthy. The baby must just be an asshole trying to make mummy and daddy worry, says the nurse. And this makes Adam shut himself and he abandons Sarah in the consultancy room. And she eventually joins him outside. The nurse calling him daddy made him feel uncomfortable. Fucking NHS. What if he isn't the daddy? Now that he's heard the heartbeat, he couldn't stand it if it wasn't his. So later, Sarah and Adam pick up Harry from Nick's. This lets Nick and Adam have a chat. The body apparently wasn't Damon's. Thank God it's just some other poor prick that's been murdered. They're all in the clear. Yay, it was only some scummy drug dealer. Back home, Adam tells Sarah the good news about Damon. If he is dead, his body is yet to be discovered. Yay! Sarah, though, quizzes Adam. She wants to have the baby, but she doesn't quite say no matter what. 
he's sure he heard a Barlow heartbeat ahead of the DNA results tomorrow. She presses him on what he'll do if the baby isn't his and asks if they even need the results. Can't you just be a father to this baby? Right, like you are to Harry. He says it's important to him and he doesn't say how it will change things, but he makes it clear that it will change things. What will? She leaves and goes for a think at the community garden and of course Dee Dee harms along and Sarah explains about the scare from today and she admits that it's not a simple case anymore of just getting a termination if it turns out to be Damon's. She's going to have to choose between her husband or her baby and Dee Dee gets a popcorn. <laughs> and this is what we've been saying really all along, right? It's She made the offer of the termination. Adam says, well... If it's Damon's, you did offer to get a termination mm-hmm. and she just didn't look like it was really a, an offer that she was making in good faith, that no. she was something that she ever really intended on doing. No. So, so this has kind of been this has kind of been coming. Yes. On Wednesday at home, Sarah and Adam are busying themselves with their hectic days. Sarah brings up the subject of the paternity results, but Adam doesn't really want to talk about them or about his likelihood of raising another another man's child and he fucks off to work. Now I did look up this type of uninvasive DNA test Uh and apparently it's available from six weeks. Okay. So I think this probably fits the bill there. Okay. At the law office, Adam's court case today is representing a character from Limmy's show. That's the one where she's turned the wains against us. It's that character. Ah, yes. Adam thinks that this slightly on-the-nose man has a very decent case. In conversation with Didi later, it also comes out that she knows about the paternity results. Adam temporarily forgets that he told Daniel and is a little put out and then insists that he's fine. He's just focused on the case because she's kind of worried for him and says to him, look, you can tell me things too, you know. Right, yeah. She he- loves the gossip. Now, in fairness to her, when she talks to Sarah in the community garden, it was Michael who first noticed that Sarah was sitting alone and looking sad in the community garden. Oh, but Didi could not have waited a second longer. She just pushed by Michael to sit down there. Well, no, Michael went to the pub to get them drinks mm-hmm. started. Hmm. So Later, Peter is in a shirt with a massive number two on it. Yes. <laughs> This it's item of clothing shirt. has just given so much joy to so many people since Wednesday. It's a meme. It's a meme. It's a meme and a half. It's like the queen jumping out of airplanes or something. Oh, was that a meme? Probably. Oh, no, no, no. The meme of the queen was when she was wearing that green, that green dress that people kept green screening, like oh, yeah. corgis and stuff onto. Yeah. And I have to thank at Daisy's Midgley and at Carla's Barlow, whose tip-top banter on uh-huh. this matter. They took the screen grab, which I then copied and did my own right. meme. But they did like thousands of them. They did. It <laughs> thousands, was great. Thousands upon thousands. And it's kind of got a little bit ahead of steam. And when we all realised that the Cory cast apparently have a WhatsApp group. Uh-huh. We reckon that the the number two shirt probably got mentioned once or twice in there. Once or twice. It's another shirt with a massive number two in it. He meets up with Adam and Daniel and Nina Rolls, and while Peter's getting a coffee, Adam tells Daniel about the scare they had yesterday and how he saw the heartbeat. Daniel doesn't think a termination is an easy option and he shouldn't bottle stuff up, he says to Adam, which is enough to send Adam scampering off bottling things up. 
Right. Then Peter comes back to the table and the scene ends, meaning there was no real point in Peter being there other than to wear a shirt with a massive number two on it. Yes. Has anybody has anybody photoshopped like the poop emoji onto the shirt? Don't think they have. I know what I'm doing as soon as we're done here. <laughs> Meanwhile, Owen and Sarah are meeting in the Rovers to talk about the pitch from the other day and he asks if she's on board for the US tour. Sarah is dismissive of the conversation and leaves immediately claiming to suddenly have a migraine. She rushes home and discovers that the letter with the results has arrived. She tries to call Adam but gets his voicemail and Adam's not answering because he's at court presenting evidence to the court about that Lemmy guy getting access to his kids. During his presentation though, he has the weirdest looking panic attack and rushes out of the court like, as many people have pointed out on Twitter, Sir Digby Chicken Caesar from that Mitchell and Webb look. (laughs) Now I've had a panic attack or two in my days. Yes. And I guess everyone has different experiences or it's possible that people have different experiences but I don't know what that was but it was a weird old panic attack. Well, like your sight going a bit blurry and the echoey voices and the having a hard time breathing. So I think I just needed hard time breathing to get that across. Again, it's with a little fancy flourishes that yeah. I don't think it really needs because it, no, it doesn't it really kind of silly. It did. Dee Dee follows him out and does her best to calm him down by saying in and out a lot. She wants to call Sarah, but he tells her not to and then runs away. But Dee Dee does tell Sarah anyway. So when Sarah comes home and finds Adam, she's very sympathetic about it, saying it's hardly surprising given everything that's been going on. Adam admits that all he can think about is the baby and determination if it's not his. And what's that going to do to Sarah and their relationship? Well done, Adam. You're having big picture thoughts here. Yes. She tells him that he doesn't need to worry about that now which he takes to mean that the results have come in and Adam's the daddy after all. She didn't mean that, I don't think. No. But she plays along anyway. He wants to see the letter, but she says, "Uh, there is no letter, they just phoned instead. Right. And this is good enough for Adam, who's a lawyer, let's remember. And he jumps in the air, clips his heels and heads off to Dev's for some non-alcoholic Prosecco. Delish. On the way, he meets Daniel and tells Daniel the good news. Daniel wants to know if these tests are 100% accurate. Adam says that he reckons they would say if they weren't. Aren't you a lawyer? asks Daniel. But it's pointless. And even Daniel's remark about it being weird that there isn't a letter isn't enough to put Adam down from his cloud. He gets back home and admits that he's told Daniel. He pops open the Prosecco, but it tastes like ass. So Sarah nips out to get a takeaway. But instead, she sits in the community garden, tears up the test results without opening it, and throws it in the bin which Dee Dee is hiding in, and Stephen, in another storyline, is hiding behind. And she only rips it once. I know. She rips it in half. Anybody could pull that out of the trash and read it. Dee Dee. You need to rip it up more than that, Sarah. This is obviously going to be found now, because she only rips it in half. I don't know if it's going to be found, but it should be found. Right? Just like Teddy. The minimum number of t- right. The minimum number of times you want to rip that up is eight. Yes, at tear, the least. Tear it in half, tear those halves in half, and tear those, those halves in halves, halves again. Yes. But tearing it once and just throwing it away. In a public place. <laughs> Don't you have a shredder at home? 
There's one at the factory, I'm sure. Of course there Stephen's is. Stephen's planning to kill somebody with it, probably. <laughs> He's going to Steve Buscemi them. <laughs> exactly. Because that's a verb now. Yes. It's just such uh, such short-mindedness. Mm-hmm. And kind of childishness. Yes. If I don't know the results, then either they don't exist or they, they become Schrodinger's Yes, Schrodinger's DNA, DNA results. Where Daniel, not Daniel, where Adam is and also isn't the father yes. of the baby. Yes, he just took a DNA test. Turns out he's 100% that dad. Maybe. <laughs> 100% maybe that dad. Right, that's exactly how Lizzo wrote it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I can see why she's doing it like this. She... <sighs> She wants both things, I think, equally. She wants her marriage and she wants the baby. So so this is the the only way that she can be sure of that. Absolutely. But isn't she now going to just constantly dwell on it? Wasn't she better just finding out one way or the other than she knew for sure? Or does she really know in her heart of hearts that it really is Damon's? I think that's it. I think in her heart of hearts, she knows it's Damon's and she doesn't want it to be Damon's. So if she doesn't look at the results, then it doesn't have to be Damon's. On Friday, Adam was chatting with Daniel and arranging a few drinks in the Rovers to celebrate the Sarah being up the duff with his kid thing. Daniel suggests maybe waiting until it's confirmed in writing, but at this point, it doesn't seem Adam knows what he's talking about anymore. Ken is soon roped in too, but doesn't even know what they're celebrating. And in his roles later, Adam and Sarah chatting when he mentions the family get-together in the Rovers for drinks. He wants to tell them all their happy news, but Sarah thinks this is a dreadful idea. She hasn't had a 12-week scan yet, and the idea of their families getting in the same room makes her want to soil herself. They can't cancel, though, because that would be suspicious, so they have to think of an excuse. Maybe Adam's pregnant, or Welsh. <laughs> in the pub... <laughs> The clans have gathered with lots of people not sitting together. Everyone seems to be standing up in various corners of the pub. It was like COVID all over again. Tracy takes the piss out of David about Max. David calls Tracy a dog. Tracy calls Gail pipsqueak. Ken tells her to shut the fuck up. And finally, Adam and Sarah arrive and Tracy immediately congratulates Sarah on being up the duff because why else would they be gathered? Sarah quickly denies it and Adam says that they're all here to celebrate that case that he had a panic attack during. Right. Yeah. Shona has a sniff of Sarah and reckons that she definitely is pregnant. Nick starts to cry. She smells hormonal. Nick starts to cry. In comes Daniel and he shouts, Congratulations to the new Barlow baby. And now everyone knows that Sarah's pregnant. Yes. Steve thought they were splitting up and had a fiver on it. Ken is worried that it was Damon's spooge that impregnated his grandson's wife. Sarah and Adam insist that the baby is Adam's. In that case, says Ken, congratulations. Back at the flat, Sarah and Adam are up to their tits and their families. Sarah apologises again for boning Damon, but Adam really doesn't care about any of that anymore now that the baby is definitely his, maybe. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Somehow it's going to come out that 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 is Damon's kid. That kid will just be really, really short and buff. <laughs> so if we wait for... 14, 15 years, yeah. all, the truth will all finally come out. Yes. Although, although the Platts aren't exactly known for their height, so Sarah can just say, it's one of us. 
because you know David and Gail and Sarah are all short. Mm-hmm. It's 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 Nick who is the freak of the family. Yeah, it's almost as, as though they're not related <laughs> at all, isn't it? How, how did he get to be so tall? Did he like eat his twin in the womb or something? Oh. Or is it steroids? <laughs> or is it just that they're not? That related? would ex- that would explain the crying. They do make you emotional. They do. Anyway, <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I think with Sarah throwing the letter out, and I think I think we can say that the letter is is officially thrown out. I don't think anyone's finding that. Not now. If they were going to find it, they'd find it on Friday. But but they didn't. So I think that's it. I think that's the the results. Either gone. Or the letter was asking Sarah to give them a call and when Sarah doesn't give them a call, they end up writing again or phoning again or something. Or Sarah has to arrange a follow-up or something or other. Right. Because if none of that happens, this this is dead until Sarah decides that she really wants to find out again. Right. Which I don't see happening soon, because why would it? Right. Or the baby comes out short. <laughs> right. We kind of thought that this was going to be Damon's and then there was going to be the whole deliberation about whether they have determination or not. And we've kind of avoided that. But, I don't know, is this is this for you a, a satisfying conclusion to this uh, who's the baby aspect of this storyline? It's not. But I'm okay with it. Because then we can just move on to more interesting things. I thought that it was interesting that Daniel, of all people, and to a lesser extent, Sarah and Dee Dee, talked about the fact that a termination isn't exactly an easy thing to do. Even if you know it's the absolute right thing to do. Right. Adam seems to think that the termination is as simple as ripping a letter in half and throwing it in the trash. Right. Yeah. That it's no big deal Mm -hmm. physically or emotionally. Right. And, you know, they're a lot safer than they used to be, but there's still a toll Mm -hmm. physically and emotionally from what I have been told by friends who have had terminations. Right. So it was kind of nice that the show sort of acknowledged that. And I did like the Barlows and the Platts kind of sniping at each other. That was fun. It was so good to see them together. And I think it it highlighted how infrequently you see them together like right. that. When you see Nick chatting away in the corner there to Steve. And, and Peter. And then Gail was chatting to Peter. And when was the last time Gail talked to Peter? And it seemed right. like they were kind of old friends. And I guess... When you're working in your own little storylines on set, even though you're on the same set, and maybe you're on the same set at the same time, you don't necessarily have any cause to bump into these people who Correct. operate in other little universes. So, yes. so yeah, I thought it was quite it was quite fun seeing the seeing them all together, them all together, and, the, and like you said, the little sniping that was mostly Tracy. It has to be said. Yes. Tracy's, this brings out the worst than Tracy. Right. Because Tracy's been far too um, toned down right. recently. It, yeah, it's hilarious, you know, Tracy calling Gail pipsqueak and then David saying, I'm the only one who's allowed to call her that. 
And then and then Ken saying, oh, that sounds really nice, Gail. Who was the lucky guy who got to take you out? And and, and it was David, you know, mm-hmm. it's like it was me and Shona. You know, it, it 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 was fun. It was a lot more fun, I have to say, than the last time we saw these two families together at that disastrous Thanksgiving dinner or whatever it was. It was Christmas. It was Christmas. We don't celebrate Thanksgiving. It was Christmas. I know, but it seemed like it seemed like Thanksgiving. It didn't really seem like Christmas. I well, that was why. the one where nobody showed up, or nobody showed up at the, at same, the same time, and, and Audrey got sloshed. There we go. Yeah. She was so drunk. No, Audrey in this one. Yeah. Why was it not? No, Audrey was there, wasn't she? No, I don't think so. No. She was there at some other point this week. When was she there this week? I think she was in a Tim's mom story. Oh, yes. Briefly. Right. And at, and at Sally's party for some reason. Yeah. No, which which was also kind of a nothing burger. So much was made of this par- birthday party for Sally. And then it just kind of happened. And nothing funny happened during it. And I was really disappointed. Well, I don't know if I agree with that. I think something did funny. Something did funny. Something funny did happen during it. But we'll, we'll get to that. Right. Yeah, the, the clan gathering stuff on on Friday, I think, was maybe my highlight of Friday... Because Friday's episode, let's say it now, was fucking bonkers. <laughs> Just weirdest things happening in, in Friday's Corey. Hmm. Just really long conversations that didn't really mean anything. We had the gathering. We had Spider literally running into another storyline. Right. And <laughs> running through storylines. Running through. What, what was that? How far away is that prison that he ran all the way there? I mean, I guess we'll get to it. We will get to it. But there's just so many things that happened. I was like, this is just absolutely batshit crazy. So, yes. so having they the, had to wrap up a whole bunch of things by the end of the week. So having the Platts and the Barlows together, while it was still uh, unusual, it was nice just to have something that was a little bit old school to um, to latch onto. Yes. Definitely. All right, let's move on to our next storyline, which is Tim's mum about the house. Woohoo! It's Sally's birthday, and she has a party planned at the bistro later. Steve asks if Tim made her feel special this morning, but he didn't. Aye. But he bought her perfume that he doesn't know about, because she bought it for him, for her. Oh, Tim. Audrey goes round to see Stephen and Tim's mum. Seems Audrey isn't going to Sally's party. It's not her thing, and it's not Stephen's thing either after last week's ding-dong. Tim's mum goes off, which confuses Audrey because Tim's mum looks and sounds fine and not really all that suicidal at all. She's good at hiding stuff, says Stephen. But keep all this to yourself, he says. At the base wrote, Tim, Tim's mum, Stephen, Abby, Kev and Steve are all there, as is... Tai Chi Jerry, but just coincidentally. Tim wants to know who the fuck this joker is that's talking to his mum, but Sally is a Tai Chi practitioner and invites Jerry to join them. And so Jerry holds court, sitting next to Tim's mum, regaling them with a story of how he psyched out a pair of mountain lions using Tai Chi principles. He was a wolf. Tim's mum is amazed. Stephen calls bullshit on it. 
and Tim points out that Stephen wouldn't have a clue about standing up for himself. And I thought, I thought Jerry sitting there uh-huh. with everybody leaning forward in his right. story was was pretty funny. It it was it was great, you know, and his story was kind of goofy, you know, staring at a wolf, the wolf staring at him, and I saying, mean, you no harm, fellow creature. Right now, you do me no harm. Uh-huh. Or worse to that effect, right? And the wolf was probably like, eh, it would take too much energy to take this guy down. Plus, I'll probably get shot if I take this guy down. I'm going to go find a nice rabbit instead. Hmm. That's what the wolf thought, was it? That is what the wolf thought. Wolves do They're not so attack. so intelligent. They do not. They actually really are. And they don't really attack people. You know, they'd have to be pretty starving to attack a person. Mm-hmm. Don't believe everything Little Red Riding Hood tells you. And I don't think there was much meat on Tai Chi Jerry's bones anyway. Back home, Tim's mum is whittering on about Tai Chi and Jerry and how cool Jerry is and how well he fit into the group at Sally's lunch. Tim's mum turned her back on Stephen and he pulls a neener neener face. But she sees his reflection in the oven door, so sees him do it. And she challenges him on it. But he insists he was just trying to dislodge a piece of food from his molar or something. Arugula? Tim's mum. Wait, isn't arugula known as rocket in the UK? Yes. Why would he say arugula? Tim's mum will have no idea what arugula is. No, not, not, not a single idea what arugula is. I understand he's Canadian. But still, isn't it weird he said arugula and not rocket? When Tim's mum hears arugula, she probably thinks of the noise that John Fashionu made at the start of Gladiators. <laughs> oh, that was a wooga. But still, isn't that a weird thing for him to say? I wonder why they made him say arugula. Because he's Canadian. Right, but he's speaking to someone who's not Canadian. And he's been in the UK for a very long extended period of time. And all his family is British. Why wouldn't he say rocket? He must know that they call it rocket and not arugula. Don't nonsense. I think I say boot instead of trunk every now and again. It's just slip of the tongue. Yeah, but you're around people who understand what boot means. Not, sometimes. Not all my day. It's it's like if he said eggplant. Well, everyone knows eggplant now thanks to the emoji. Well, yes. Anyway, yeah, I didn't think that was... Um, I don't think it was unbelievable, but it did make me think... She doesn't know what that is. Right. I think probably in real life she knows what it is, but I don't think Tim's mum knows what it is. No. And, I mean... It, I don't even know if Tim's mum knows what Rocket is. But the, the thing is, is that he could have very easily said, I just don't want to talk about Jerry anymore. It makes me uncomfortable how much you talk about Jerry because you're supposed to be in love with me. And that would have been very reasonable. Yeah, but he doesn't he, care about that. He doesn't have to lie about everything. Does he care about he it? Gets, he gets... Well, this is the thing that's weird. You, th- We're all under the assumption that he doesn't care about Tim's mom. He would rather be born he than would, Jenny. Right. And yet, well, he cares about Tim's mom's money. I, I suppose we need to remember this, that he does care about Tim's mom's money. Yeah, but money. this is a different, a different reaction, I think. This was, this was, he seemed genuinely, not not sorry for what he did. Heavens no. No. But does seem to be quite jealous of... Tai Chi of, Jerry. Of tai Chi Jerry. Is this, a, is this a Jackson 5 reaction? I want you back sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. 
because she becomes desirable in somebody else's eyes, right. therefore her desirability goes up in his eyes. Right. Because he's not exactly a very emotionally mature man. No. Even at his great age of what? 60? 60 something, yeah. So he says he's trying to dislodge a piece of food from his molar. Tim's mum looks at them as though she might now think that he killed Cinco Leo, Cinco Leo's dad, Rufus Houndstooth, and has attempted to kill Owen and Michael. And Audrey. Oh, yes. And uh, drugged Carla. Right. Oh, he's been a busy boy. He has. But she says to him, just being so childish. Right. Which exactly is what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Oh, how <sighs> how hilarious it would be if the Nina Nina was the trigger that uh, um, heralded his downfall. On Wednesday, in Nina's rolls, Tim's mum is complaining about Stephen to Tim. She doesn't think Stephen even likes her all that much anymore. And she asks Tim to join her for lunch, which he does because he feels guilty. But then he finds out that by lunch she meant Tai Chi. Yes. So Tim ropes Steve and they join them. So we'll have something to laugh at in a couple of minutes time. Yay! Sally and Ed have also been roped in. Jerry wonders where Stephen is, so Tim's mum has to explain that Stephen is a shitbag now and doesn't share her interests. Jerry promises to restore her inner balance, presumably by getting his hole with her later. Mm. In the class, Jerry is 150% Jerry, and he talks them through the routine which relaxes Steve so much that he farts and maybe even follows through a wee bit. You dirty bastard, says Tim, a little too eagerly, which makes me think that he'd already farted. As that scene was progressing, I was typing up a poll to... Right, who was going to fart first? Who was going to fart first? And in the middle of it, Steve farted. And I was like, this is... You're like, damn it! This is, this is me reacting in exactly the way that they would predict that I would react, I think. Yes. They know funny. you so well. That was a good little... Yes. Dirty Steve. At the end of the class, Jerry suggests that they all meet up later for more bonding. Tim's mum suggests 7.30 for dinner, which everyone tentatively agrees to. At home, Stephen tries to get back into Tim's mum's good books by telling her a boring-as-fuck story about laundry. He tells her that he's booked a table at a Thai restaurant. <sighs> Thai because of Thai chi, I guess. To apologise, but Tim's mum tells him that she's already made arrangements with her Tai Chi class and she doesn't want to pull out. Not like that. He reckons Kung Fu Jerry will be there, no doubt. Tim's mum has had about enough of this shite from Stephen and this horrible side of his personality that he's suddenly shown. And he seems, again, taken aback by this. What do you mean, horrible side of my personality? Mm -hmm. He apologises if he upset her. Fuck you, Mm -hmm. man. And says that he can join them if she likes, but she says no, she doesn't like. She doesn't want him there. He can go fuck himself at the Thai restaurant. Everyone else, though, bails out with a dinner invite, and so predictably, it's just Tim's mum and Jerry. And when they meet up at the community centre, Stephen hides behind a bin and hears Tim's mum and Jerry talk about what a deplorable, unsupportive asshole Stephen is. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yeah. I felt sorry for Ed because Ed seemed genuinely to want to go until he realized it was just going to be Jerry and... He doesn't want to be the gooseberry, does he? No. But he's all dressed up. He's wearing a nice pink sports coat as if he's ready for the Barbie premiere and everything. (laughs) Where is Aggie? Why is is Aggie not with him? Oh, we got some excuse about Aggie. We got some excuse for why she didn't turn up to the the Tai Chi. She's working a double shift or something at the hospital. Oh, probably. But there was a moment during the Tai Chi lesson where 
Ed turns to Tim's mum and says, you're not bad at this yourself, love. Uh-huh. Which is definite hitting on language. Well, she says to him first that he has a very good form, that, that he's picking it up rather well. So he's just, she, he's just returning the compliment. So if anybody's flirting with Ed, it's Tim's mum. What do you think? So we kind of came into this week, I guess, maybe thinking that Stephen had his sights on Tim's mum finally, and if it was going to go that way, that's where any lingering humour that we find in the storyline or any lingering human humour I find in the story kind of evaporates. But it kind of felt that he's turning his attentions away from Tim's mum to Kung Fu Jerry. Tai Chi, you're being racist. Well, Stephen's being racist. That's true. So everybody's a little bit racist in this Tai Chi storyline, though, aren't they? A little bit, because Sally talks about not Tai Chi, about something else that she does that that's like Asian related. And she's like, it's basically the same thing, isn't it? And like the whole way Jerry talks is a little bit. Little Chuck Norris, isn't it? Do you think Chuck Norris talks like Jerry? Or not even Chuck Norris. Who is the guy who not actually, even Chuck Norris? Who is the guy who played the white guy on the Kung Fu television show? David Carradine. Yes. It's very David Carradine. I expect him to be found naked hanging in his closet someday. Oh. Too soon? Oh. Really? It's been a while. Doing a Michael Hutchins, oh, <laughs> awful, awful thing you say, Helen. That's terrible. Uh, um, yeah, oh no, he's, he's dialing it up. He's giving it the big new world type, right? Uh, Zen this right. at, at one with the universe right. type thing. But I don't know how accurate that is. But I think if Stephen does, if Stephen is thinking about killing Tai Chi Jerry. This is another change in his MO. Right. The the kills that have happened before are either covering up accidents, mm-hmm. something to, to try and get his hands on Jenny, mm-hmm. or something to try and get his hands on the knicker factory. Right. Or something to try and get his hands on lots and lots of money. Well, see, and this is the thing, I think... Part of it is that Tim's mom kind of maybe following for Jerry means that she won't marry Stephen and Stephen won't be able to get a hand on her money. So if Jerry's out of the picture, then he can still get Tim's mom's money. He's trying to fake her suicide. Right. Life insurance doesn't pay out on suicide. Correct. So if that's how he's trying to get this money he's not a very smart man really not very smart at all and that feels like a kind of ironic thing that we might end up doing that if tim's mum is to be killed off then it appears that she took her own life and it's pointless because Stephen doesn't get the money anyway yeah and that would just be a horrible horrible way to end this. i really hope that they don't do that yeah but but yeah, it's not the it's not the smartest. But Tim's mum 
really has changed their tune about Stephen very, very quickly after that Nina Nina. And I wonder if that was a little bit too reminiscent of Tim's dad. Yeah. And yeah, that, it does that's, feel that's it. what checked her out of this now. And I think she has checked out of it now. Yeah. That's what it feels like. All right, let's move on to next storyline, which is a cheap dose of the Winter Browns. Woohoo! On Monday, Anina rolls. Gemma is ready to puke ahead of her meeting with the social. Chesney plays it down, saying that she just fell asleep. No one was permanently injured. She'll just get a smack on the wrist. Beth and Daniel come in, and she confesses it were her what grassed them up. Beth, that is. Daniel is shocked and appalled and reiterates that he'd already let it go. Back home, Chesney sticks to his original plan and tells Gemma just to tell the truth. So the social worker, Mandy Newhaven, arrives and they chat about Friday's episode. Gemma explains that she only dozed off for a minute, the pills were in her bag, but she admits that she was looking after six kids and isn't a registered childminder. Holy fuck, says Mandy Newhaven. Chesney thinks a warning is sufficient punishment. In your dreams, pal, says Mandy Newhaven, who reckons that they'll get a Mahusa fine and Gemma might even get the jail. Paul finds Gemma at the precinct and he comforts her and she tells him what happened. She feels bad for burdening him with uh, with her problems, saying that he needs someone strong in his corner. That's why I have you, says Paul. He reckons Mandy Newhaven will have seen much worse than Gemma, but she needs to start relying on people around her. He tells her how proud he is of her. So back home, Gemma calls Mandy Newhaven back round and she insists how good a mother she is and how she would do anything for her kids and she has a support network now. None of this matters, says Mandy Newhaven. You broke the law! <laughs> Gemma was running an illegal baby storage facility for profit and she must be punished to the full extent of the law. Later, Gemma blames herself for losing their main source of income. Chesney says they're a team and they will manage together and is there anything I can do to help? But I don't think anyone's believing this. How on earth is watching two kids part-time paying you more than... Does she work at the kebab shop still? She does. The kebab shop or the Rovers? Because I think she was getting 120 quid a day off the pair of them. 60 quid each for a few hours work. So the hourly rate for that was probably the highest. She's probably just getting minimum wage at the Rovers and the kebab shop. Yeah, so Dev and Jenny are running essential sweatshops in their businesses. Well, we give them need part-time. To raise, we need to raise their rates for well, how much they pay people. They'll be paying minimum wage and they'll be just offering part-time shifts. It's ridiculous. How how well, is it Welcome to the world, Helen. How is it how is it that Sean can make a living working part time behind the bar and Because he's got the knicker factory as well, he's probably earning a bit more there. Gemma can't. Or how is it that Evelyn is making enough Oh she's got a pension to help support Fizz and Tyrone's kids and not like starving and having to decide between I think I answered that at the start and, of your sentence. And eggs sort of thing. It's still going on. Yeah, it is. It's not adding up. The math isn't mathing is kind of what I'm saying here. As far as the fact that these people are so very poor. I think if Gemma was living on her own 
and she was getting part-time hours at the kebab shop and part-time hours at the pub and was trying to keep a house and trying to raise four kids. Oh, well, she'd be fucked. Yeah. She'd be fucked, right? Yeah, well, she wouldn't have anybody to help pay or watch the kids. But the fact that Chesney's there... Who also works three jobs. And Chesney is... Or is he... He used to be a manager, so he'd be getting right. a bit more and would probably be full-time. Right. So he'd be making a decent packet. But, you know, as we talked about in the criticism section, there's it's a rented council house. Right. So the rent's not going to be extortionate. No. And there are benefits that they would be probably eligible for mm-hmm. because of the kids. Right. So that... It's the same as it ever was, same as it ever was right. for them, that they're poor because... But she wants them to be poor. Because she came from a scuzzy estate and mm-hmm. because um, Chesney's parents were scumbags. Right. That's about it. So therefore, they're, they're never allowed to have any money. Right. So meanwhile, in the pub, Daniel has had a call from social services who want to speak to him about the incident and he and Daisy get right torn into Beth and call her a miserable fucking old bitch. Beth maintains that she's not the one in the wrong here. Right, because Daniel and Michael are probably going to get in trouble for this as well because they knew full well that yep. Gemma was not legally certified. Mm-hmm. On Wednesday, all of Gemma's huffing and puffing has woken Chesney up. They've moved away from worrying about the social and are now worrying about having no money, no sugar, no bread, no washing powder, and she's beating herself up about it. Chesney insists that they're in this together and asks what he can do to help. Gemma goes round to the Rovers to ask Jenny for more hours, but she hasn't any more to give out. Jenny suggests calling Henry Newton, who she knows is looking for staff. It seems Henry isn't dead after all. Even though the last we saw him, Chesney was piling one into a car that was filled with thugs that Henry owed 20 grand to, and the last that we saw was Henry pounding on the window, yeah. Screaming for his life. Yes. Well, Chesney and Gemma went away for a cup of tea. And right. I remember being chilled to my core at that. Yes. It was very Britty Snellis. Yes. But apparently it's fine. Apparently it's fine. And I, I, maybe we got told that. I don't remember it. Mm. So, yeah. Henry's not dead after all. Gemma worries that Chesney will not uh, look kindly on this and may hit himself in the face with a brick again thanks to the history that she and Henry had. Remember? Remember when Gemma was going to be the landlady of the Rovers? Yeah, I remember that. Back home, Chesney's run out of toilet paper again. How much toilet paper does he use, for fuck's sake? (laughs) She's been hitting the food bank. He thinks that's for poor people. And she says, that's what we are. Yeah. And he asks if she doesn't feel ashamed and then says that they're in this together and asks what he can do to help. He also doesn't think that Henry Newton is going to be uh, any help. Thanks, yeah. thanks to them trying to get him killed a few years ago. Right. But she doesn't listen to him and she gives Henry a call on the down low and registers her interest in getting some hours at his numerous pubs, apparently, hmm. because he still owns Newton Ridley pub branch, I guess. Chesney comes downstairs with an update on the toilet paper situation <laughs> and to let her know that Cleo now wants a kitten, he cracks open a tin of beans for dinner, insisting that they're all in this together. On Friday... On the street, Gemma gets a text from Henry asking to meet up to discuss her request for a job. She lies to Chesney and tells him it was Glenda. 
Beth comes along and does a cow and calls Gemma a child killer or something and Chess has a quiet word with Kirk on the sly and asks him if he can convince Beth to wind her fucking neck in or something. So at the factory, Kirk makes Beth a cup of tea and then begs her to stop being a bitch to Gemma. After all, Gemma is losing her brother and Beth knows all about what it's like to lose somebody. He tells her that Gemma isn't to blame and deep down Beth knows that that's true. So at the courthouse, Beth shows up to make peace. She says that she knew it was an accident. And Quite Gemma, astute of Kirk. Right. And that Gemma didn't mean to kill, or try to kill, Bertie, because she didn't kill Bertie. Correct. The two of them agree to go for a drink to put it all in the past, and Beth offers her ear if Gemma needs to talk about the Paul situation. At the pub, Kirk and Chesney are happy to see that they've made peace, so much so that Beth and Kirk make up two after they decide that they miss each other. So they go to Speedal for a make-up meal, but decide to go home for their hole instead. And that's as far as we get well, um, this week. Bow, wow. And Peanut is mentioned. I've several times. So, months ago, we are thinking, Kirk's getting a story here. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. A storyline where he doesn't, doesn't need to be a buffoon all the time. And right. he doesn't need to be walking about with a yo-yo. Although this week he does reveal that dry January he took too literally and didn't have any drinks on January and didn't manage a couple of days because he would have died absolutely ridiculous so we so we get him saying that but then like in the very next scene we have him astutely telling Beth you've lost someone she's gonna lose someone you know how that feels so maybe go easy on her but we had this storyline all kind of lined up with the whole uh, Marco thing right and then they split up. Right. And we're thinking, well, maybe that was the best thing for them to split up. Right, yeah. Maybe they get more interesting things happening to them. Because Kirk then, is, out, is back out from underneath Beth's shadow. But then they disappeared. We don't see them again. And now they're just back together again. Right. So it kind of feels like that whole Marco thing was, well, <sighs> it was pointless for them. But right. it became important briefly in the Faye and Craig storyline. Right. But it still feels a bit short-changed yeah. on that. I was kind of hoping for a bit more because Kirk's just gone back to being Kirk again. And Yeah, that's, that's unfortunate. That is unfortunate. Yeah. But yeah, I guess it was nice for, for Beth and, and Gemma to make up. The two of them kind of feel that they should be friends. They're kind, yes. of, they're kind of all gobby together. And, and it's nice because Kirk and Chesney are friends. I'll be interested to see where this Henry thing goes. Yes. It'll be Did interesting. Did you like Henry the first time round? I can't remember. I can't really remember either. He was fun because he was like this stereotypical snooty, snooty right. booty, mm-hmm. placing bets with his friends about dating someone gobby like Gemma and right. all that other stuff. I don't know. It it does kind of feel weird, though, him like just turning up again just by Jenny mentioning him randomly. Mm-hmm. It took me a minute to remember who he was. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been like four years. Right. I think it was, I think it was around about 2018, 2019 when... Right. And the world is very different now. <laughs> just a bit. Oh well, we'll see oh, where well. we go. We will see. Our next storyline tonight is Ryan's tits. And on I Monday, like that. 
No. Oh no! Wait, exactly that. like that. On Monday, in his room, as he packs, wow. Ryan is doing the Peter Parker meme where he's looking at his hot board in the mirror, and then he's on the phone to Peter, organising a taxi ride to the airport. In the rovers, Peter tells Toya and Spider about Ryan's upcoming fair, and when he leaves to take care of that, Toya and Peter tell Daisy, who seems devastated to know that Ryan is leaving and no one knows when he's going to be back. She rushes off, leaving Toya in charge, who she says is responsible, as she stands next to an actual policeman. So Daisy gets <laughs> right. So Daisy gets out just in time to see Ryan get in the cab. They share a longing look. Daisy manages a faint smile. And then Peter drives Ryan off and away from Coronation Street. Temporarily. Yes. I don't think anyone's under the impression that this is a permanent thing. This no. is just give him a break for a couple of weeks. Yeah, There's and it makes sense. Other, there's a lot of storyline to contend with. And it makes sense for him to go visit his mum. It would make more sense for his mum to visit him there, but you know. Yep. This is for the best. Yes. This is always for the best. Yes. Yeah, so that was just a kind of wrap-up of something that probably should have happened last week. Right. All right, so let's move on to Mad Max. But it was nice to see Ryan once again without his shirt on. He can make his tits jiggle. I was quite impressed by that. Pectoral muscles? Mm-hmm. It can make his touch jiggle. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Anyway. Our next He's a regular John Cena. Is, I was thinking The Rock. Mad mm. Max, so beyond racist road. <laughs> On Wednesday at home, Shona catches Max loading groceries into a bag. He tells her he's taken Sabrina out for a picnic, which calms Shona down. But later, when Sabrina comes into Nina's rolls, Shona puts her foot in her mouth about the picnic and then realises that Sabrina doesn't have a fucking clue what she's talking about. Because the food isn't for a picnic, Helen. No. It's to feed racist Kelly. Yes. Rather stupidly in the community garden. Right, in front of everybody. She mentions that her dad wants her to visit him in jail to prove that he's changed, but she's too scared to go alone. Sensing that he's about to get roped into this, Max is like, fuck that, no chance, which racist Kelly pretends to be understanding about. But then Max's problems escalate when Sabrina catches them in public in broad daylight having their own picnic. What the fuck's going on here, she demands, and why is racist Kelly eating my picnic? She storms off and Max chases after her, insisting that he's just mates with racist Kelly, but Sabrina has worked out that Max used her as a cover story with Shona. It's not like that, says racist Kelly. Thanks, racist Kelly, I've got this, says Max. So they go back to number eight, where Max makes a case for racist Kelly and her dad, but Sabrina, she ain't interested. No. She says that she doesn't really know Max all that well, and she's not about to get mucked about, so she declares this relationship over. You're dumped. And later in the gunnel, Max meets up with racist Kelly. Now that he's been dumped, he's decided that he's going to go and visit racist Kelly's dad in jail now, after all. Ugh. Why? Why? Later still... We see Kelly on her own. No, it's not Kelly. Later still, we see racist Kelly on her own, on the phone to her dad, explaining that she and Max will be along tomorrow to visit him. Seems like her dad was keen on Max to be there too. Yes, something is afoot. And maybe this is all starting to make a little bit of sense. So on Friday at number eight, Sean and David and Gail have taken a day... uh, have taken a day off to mark Kylie's death anniversary. Max, though, says he wants to go on his own. David insists that he thinks of Max's mum every day. As soon as the oldies have gone, Max lets racist <laughs> Kelly in the back door. Yeah, when when they first say, oh, we've taken the day off, he's like, why? It's like he doesn't think of his mum at all, no. ever. <laughs> he has to be reminded that his mum is dead. 
Racist Kelly is still nervous about visiting her dad, but wants to hear him out. Max isn't sure he deserves it, but will tag along. And that brings us on to this week's Hard Debate. How often do you think David thinks of Max's mum? Every day? Every week? Whenever he hears Padam Padam? Or almost never? <laughs> how, how long have you been trying to figure out a way to get Padam Padam into the Corey polls? Just today. It was just today. You've I, been loving that song for like a couple <laughs> of weeks now. When I, when I thought, I wonder how often David does think about Kylie and, and their... There is how a hard debate is born. Right, yes. So every week got 7.7%. Every day was 23.1%. Oh. Whenever he hears Padam Padam was also 23.1%. <laughs> and almost never, 46.2%. Oh my God, people are just trashing poor David. Poor David. They, they, had a, they had the clip of Kylie dying on Instagram. Mm-hmm. The show did. It was really, really today. well done. Oh, gosh, it's... Even if you don't have the sound on, it's a tearjerker. Oh, 100%. Oh, my God. And Jack P. Shepard hasn't acted that well since. Oh, come now. <laughs> All right, that's not true. But still, he's like acting his little heart out oh, in that scene. Uh, he's so good. He's so good in it. Oh, when he realizes scene. that she's dead, when he like turns away and says, oh, they're coming. They're coming, Kylie. You know help is coming and then he looks down and she's dead oh giving me goosebumps thinking about it Oft, so good <clears throat> it was uh and there was something that just happened in the blink of an eye right oh she was awesome kylie kylie was awesome and now she's dead <coughs> so max and lauren sorry racist Kelly, are hanging out at the tram stop when Sabrina appears. Max explains where they're going with Sabrina thinking that this is a stupid idea and she sends dummy Max on his way. So Max and Lauren go to the, the jail to meet racist Reese. He hasn't had a haircut in a while. And he's talking about true crime TV, which is kind of ironic, I guess. Lauren doesn't have much chat, so Reese turns to Max and bigs him up for grassing up Griff. Reese says Griff hoodwinked them all. And he wishes he'd seen sense like Max did ages ago. And then he seems to suggest that Griff was threatening racist Kelly, which was why Reese stayed loyal. And this is news to Max. Racist Kelly thinks that this proves that Reese is a good guy in all this and suggests to Max that he speaks to the police about how Reese was only protecting his daughter and, co- and coveting chippy teas and true crime box sets. Fuck that, says Max. And, and I think... Oh, bravo. He has seen the light. He is... This is, this is it. This is good. He's, he's walking away from this. Mm-hmm. So smart. How long does that last? A couple of scenes. Yeah. After all the lies, why do they think that he'd do anything for Reese? He thought racist Kelly had changed and Reese deserves everything that's coming to him. He knew exactly what he was doing when he dragged Max into it. So Max gets up and leaves, tell them both to suck his balls. But Reese tells racist Kelly to keep working on Max. Don't let this don't let this go. So outside the jail, racist Kelly surprised to see Max still there and he's waiting on a taxi. She apologizes but thought he'd change his mind when he saw Reese. He didn't. Yeah. And he's pretty pissed off about this. Yeah, he's like, wait a second. <laughs> he's in there because he deserves to be in there. Yes. Just like I served my time, he should serve his time. Exactly. 
Right. That's exactly it. So something happens when Spider runs into the storyline. Right. Because the next we see of it, despite everything, Max takes racist Kelly back to number eight. When David and Shona see her, they want to dig out the sinkhole again and throw her down it. But Max asks if racist Kelly can stay for a couple of days, telling him that she's been sleeping in the salon f- uh, for weeks now and has a spare key. He's just bringing out all the big guns here. She has nowhere else to go. David is worried that saying no will make Max fall out with him again, so they end up agreeing to this utter madness. Yes. Well, that's as far as you get with that. Yeah, it's like, because of because of what racist Kelly says to Spider in another storyline, all of a sudden, Max is sympathetic to her again. But what she did in another storyline wasn't good either. No. <laughs> right. It doesn't make any... But that, she seems to Max to be genuinely sorry about. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's what changes his mind. It doesn't make any sense why he would change his mind, why he would do anything nice for her. If you're going to do anything, just let her continue to sleep in the salon. It right. seems to be going well. Nobody knows well about enough. it. Just let that continue. Right. Or, you know, call her mom. Oh, her boyfriend thinks that she should get a job, remember? Yeah. I don't know how mom. much of that we're supposed to believe. Right. Yeah. And also doesn't matter call her mom because if she's going to be sleeping rough call her mom and this really isn't david's responsibility no it's not max's responsibility either so when he says oh she'll be sleeping rough then well not her it's not your fault tough shit yeah it's not either one of yours fault and i don't know if reese has changed or not he's not but he's not he's definitely thinking of just himself yeah he's not even thinking about his daughter He's because he's manip- he's still manipulating her. And this thing that happens in another storyline gives Max the opportunity to say to racist Kelly, you're easily manipulated. You are you are too trusting mm. of other people. And you would think that that would give her pause as far as the whole trying to help her dad, which let's remember, he wasn't exactly a great guy to her either. No. No, because she was almost pimped out to get Max on board. Right. No, she was literally pimped out. Mm. Because let's remember, she took his virginity. Yeah, but they seemed, upstairs. But they seemed to they seemed to be getting on. Right, but she would have never done it no if she hadn't been manipulated into it. Right. Oh, it's so wicky. Yeah, the I, whole thing was gross. I want more Gav. And I want more Sabrina. And less, and less racist, racist Kelly. Kelly. Or racist Reese. <sighs> Where is Gav? Bring <sighs> Gav back. I'm worried that we've seen we've seen the last of him. We better not. Our penultimate storyline is Addy's Smile Sells. On Friday, in Dev's, Dev has given Addy a hard time about his face and criticizes him for not exploring ASS. AS. Ask. A smile sells. And Dev is... Dev about it. 300% Dev. Yes. Addy practices his new smile when Amy, Ash and Nina come in. Addy thinks the place is beneath him, so Amy, who is doing that volunteering thing after all, says that she could do with some of his shifts. Addy tells her that he's proud of her, so when Amy leaves, Nina and Ash take the piss out of Addy for being totally in love with Amy, which we wouldn't be adverse to. No. No, this is what we wanted all along, for them to get together, 
buy a van and adopt a Great Dane. And solve mysteries. Yes. Later, Andy is labelling up some groceries when Addy continues to take the piss out of him about Amy. Beans, even. Beans get... Are these the baked beans of the week? Or are the baked beans of the week the ones that Chesney made for dinner? Baked beans. Of the week! Of the week! (laughs) Addy confesses that he really does have feelings for Amy. Asha thinks the timing is awful here. She might have a point. And advises him to keep his feelings to himself for the time being. And later, Addy finds Amy and the girls in speed dial, and he gives Amy the good news that she can start at the shop immediately. Amy is thrilled and gives Addy a hug, so much so that he comes in his pants immediately. And that's as far as we get with that. More of yes. that next week, I presume. Yes. <clears throat> yes. And and it's funny because there's this really cute scene between Addy and Asha, you know, with the baked beans. And Dev sticks his head around the corner and says, you two be, are being very quiet and nice to one another. I don't like it. He comes out from through the back and stands and stares at them for like five seconds <laughs> without saying a word. <laughs> it's great. All right. Our final storyline tonight is the Glasgow kiss of Spider's Woman. On Friday, Sam isn't feeling well, but doesn't want to miss a school trip to the Hadron Collider or whatever. Toya offers to help Leanne with Sally's birthday in another storyline, but Leanne thinks Toya should plan a romantic day with Spider, seeing as they'll have the house to themselves. At the station, though, Spider's boss has received a number of death threats against Spider, and he thinks that Spider staying in the area puts his life at risk. He has an opportunity far away with a new identity. So when Spider gets home, he thinks he's forgotten Toya's birthday because of all the effort that she's gone to. I thought that was hilarious. That was funny. He wants to tell her about his day, but she wants her whole but neither of them get what they want because Leanne walks in with Sam, who, it turns out, really was too sick for the trip to the Hadron Collider. That's that fucked then. And it's further fucked when it transpires that Toya's romantic strawberries weren't defrosted properly. She suggests a breakaway glamping in a forest, but he's not keen on the idea. Before Toya can find out why, Sam comes in from his room, explaining that he used to watch Ghostbusters with his mum when he was sick. And she'd run his hand, her hands through his hair. So that's, so that's what they do. Except without Natasha, who is dead. Yes. Everyone falls asleep until Leanne comes clomping in. Spider takes Sam back to his room, which allows Toya to complain that Spider is not interested in commitment. Or in intimacy. Later, in the pub, Toya challenges... Why do I sound like Marge Simpson there? (laughs) Later, in the pub, Toya challenges Spider and asks why he doesn't want to live with her. He says he would love for them to live together, and that shuts her up. On Wednesday... And Nina rolls, Toya is keen to talk about nothing more than finding a place to live, but Spider is dismissive. I think he says that he can't quite afford it just yet. Right. And rushes off to work. Back at the flat, Leanne is peeling carrots because Sam is still sick. Toya starts tidying up and finds Spider's bank statement handily lying around, which suggests that he's not as skint as he was claiming to be. Toya says this is evidence that Spider is playing hot and cold with her and asks what else he's been lying about. Toya thinks this now gives her carte blanche to check out his internet history on his laptop and sees that he's been looking at properties down south near where his ex lives and also something called Brazilian fart porn. (laughs) You don't have to be a genius to know what he's up to, at which point Spider comes home. And he says, what exactly am I up to? Spider Spider doesn't think it's cool going through his stuff and neither is planning to move closer to your ex 
says Toya. He says he's trying to hurry through the divorce with his ex so he can marry her, at which point he proposes. None of this makes much sense, so understandably Toya doesn't jump at the distraction. Spider reckons it's too soon after what's his name? Imran. Yes. Poor Imran. (sighs) We miss you so much, Charlie. This is Charlie's Instagram at the Coronation Street's Instagram about congratulations to to Toya and to Spider, Spider. and he was like, this is going to end in doom. <laughs> she tells him to get out of her sight, which forces him to confess that he's been offered a job Dan Saf in a new undercover sting. Toya doesn't think this bodes well for getting a place together if the place he has in mind is miles away, and then she susses that he's already accepted a new job because of the threats to his life from the far right, and the move gets him out of the way of all that. So Toya goes to the bistro to complain to Leanne about Spider. She doesn't think she can carry on with the secrecy parts of Spider's life anymore. And she mulls it over with a vegetarian lasagna when Spider comes in later. Toya says that she sees herself as a risk taker, which Susie would agree with. But she just wants someone to be, to be with and relax with. He thinks they can make it work, even with the sacrifice and uncertainty. And you know what, dear reader? She agrees. Yay. She will marry him. Yay. None of this makes sense. No. Don't go killing this one, Toya, says Leanne. What? What? And everyone laughs. She didn't kill Peter, let's be fair. But she killed the last one. Right. Yes. On Friday. And then he shaved his beard and I was very sad. And Nick and Leanne's Spider and Toya and Sam and Simon, because Simon is still alive, are celebrating the new arrangement. Spider gets a text from an unknown number demanding a meeting in Freshco's car park so he concocts a story and leaves his own party. PC Tinker seems to be in the CID after all, as he's in plain clothes when he goes into Nina's rolls for a bacon butty, and we'll see a bit of that later on. Yes, we will. Spider goes to Freshco as instructed. He's wired for sound and has backup, but there's no one there to meet. It no. looks like this, uh, this meeting has been a setup. Yes. Back at the flat. Sam is whining about not getting out because of being sick. Toya buzzes up a cold collar so that the rest of the story can happen. Right, yes. Leanne Who gets... does that? <laughs> Who does that? Why Who? does Toya do it? And why does Toya suddenly think it's okay to go through somebody's computer and somebody's bank statements? Right. And this doesn't seem like Toya to me. Yeah. Who says... I don't know who this person is, but I'm going to buzz them in anyway. Right. What's the point of having a buzzer? Exactly. What's the point of having a security system right. on your front door? Aye, aye, aye. Rule number one, you never just buzz anybody in. <sighs> Leanne gets a call from Nick at the Bistro, so she has to rush around there with a key or something. At the door, though, is a woman looking for Spider, claiming to be Layla, but who clearly isn't. As soon as Toya says, oh, you Layla, she goes, uh, yeah, that's right. <coughs> well, she yeah, she does say that she's his ex. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Toya makes a cuppa and wants to know what Layla wants, but Sam interrupts, still wanting to leave to play Roy at chess. Toya tells him to shut the fuck up and wait for Leanne to get back. And this seems to interest Layla, who asks about Sam, so Toya has to explain the relationship. Right, yeah. And she's very suspicious about it, like, Spider never told me you had kids. Mm. Later at the precinct, Leanne bumps into Spider. Leanne says Spider's ex is at the flat with Toya, but Spider says his ex isn't even in the country at the moment. Oh, pig's tits, says Leanne. So Spider calls Toya at the flat and must tell her to look as suspicious as possible <laughs> while he explains what's going on. 
Spider and Leanne run home to find the flat turned over and a wee splash of blood on the floor. Noticeably, no coffee or tea from a dropped mug. Yes. And no Sam or Toya neither. Spider seems oddly calm while Leanne phones Sam, who it turns out is at Roy's after all. The wee shit just went anyway. Spider bursts into Nina's rolls and demands to know where Max is. Sabrina is hanging around from another storyline. Right. And so is able to tell this frantic stranger what he wants to know. And then we get a little bit of D.S. Swain. D.S. Swain is at the bistro interviewing Sam and Leanne. She gets a call and steps out to take it, and that's all we see of her. Simon comes in and demands to know what's going on. Tinker is there, looking like he's spent the last week in the pub in bookies, and explains <laughs> about the scene of crime officers being outside. Simon instantly dismisses him and turns to Nick and Leanne, who don't know anything, because that's better than listening to DC Tinker. I can't believe we're doing this. No. I can't believe we're going along with this. No. That the corrupt PC tinker yeah. would be DC and sh- material. And and shouldn't we already, shouldn't we, before we get to this part, shouldn't we have like a celebration of him graduating from detective school and... <laughs> Police Academy. <laughs> and, beca- and getting the promotion? Because the last we heard was that he was going to be accepted into it. And... and it was a secondment, say- wasn't it? And Faye was going to throw them this huge party and everybody's like, shouldn't you wait until he actually gets it to throw a party and all that other stuff? Mm-hmm. He, looks like, he, he looks like a homeless waiter. <laughs> yes, he does. Who's lost his bow tie. It, it looks like my Uncle Peter, who used to spend his days in the, <laughs> in the bookies. That's exactly who he looks like. <laughs> One of those old men who always just puts a suit on anyway. Right. When you're, you're going to spend all day in the bookies. He looks, That's what he looks like. He looks very rumpled as well. Especially when, when Dia Swain is there. Looking all professional and put together. Absolutely. All in black. And she looks fantastic. <clears throat> and then you have Craig just kind of he, turning up like a bad penny. And he's still pulling those weird faces when he's like, oh, we're checking out CCTV. Just to, Right. What, what are you doing? Get out. Get, Tr- give us, be, a, give try, us a decent DC in here. Try to be very, very serious. Pulling his very, <sighs> very serious face. Spider runs off and runs so fast that he appears in the arse end of the Max and Racist <laughs> Kelly storyline. Yes. He demands to know what's happened to Toya and is instantly suspicious that Max knows something about it when he sees Racist Kelly there. We cut to a van that seems to be stopping for a red light and as soon as it does, in the back, Toya, who is bound and gagged, kicks the side of the van, but sadly the gentleman with pronounced nipples who's walking by <laughs> has, has headphones on. Right. Maybe listening to the latest episode of The Talk of the Street. And there's like construction work going on too, so sure. it's very, very noisy, conveniently. Back outside the prison. And if you were a kidnapper, would you have sussed out your route to avoid things like temporary traffic lights you'd want to get out of dodge as quickly as possible one would think back outside the prison spider suspects far-right activists out to get him for kidnapping toya 
Racist Kelly becomes Exposition Kelly as she explains that she told a reporter about Toya or something or, and where she lived and how does, stuff. How, how does, does Racist know? Kelly know where Toya lives <clears throat> and that she's in a relationship with Spider? Oh, well, because Spider was oh, the undercover yeah. cop thing, right? Right, but how does she know where she lives? They went to the flat. Did they? they? Yeah, they went to the flat. Yeah. Spider asks her to describe the reporter, so Racist Kelly says the reporter looked like Abby's mum. Based on the, the description, Spider is able to dial into base and tell them they've been barking up the wrong tree. This isn't a far-right thing. John Doe has the upper hand. John Doe has the upper hand. Spider goes back to the flat. <laughs> Pretty sure who has toilet. Please, please let's not see Toya's head in a box. John Doe has the upper hand. <laughs> he describes him as someone from his past looking for revenge. And then we see Toya in the van again. Abby's mum comes in and tells her that there's no one round for miles and she should get used to this. She'll find out more in due time, but she's going to be here for a while. And that's how we end this week's episodes. Yeah. So she's essentially saying this to the audience as well. Yes. I'm not going to tell you who I am yet. You're going to have to wait till next week. And in the meantime, happy 50th birthday to Argos. (laughs) Here I am dancing in the street with a chair. Off to play Pass the Parcel and win an Xbox. I hate that. I do too. (laughs) Oh, well. So dumb. Why don't I care about this? <laughs> because I love Toya. I love Toya. I love Toya's hair from 2002. And I just love Toya. And I love Georgia. Right. And I love Georgia. <clears throat> I haven't quite forgiven Toya for murdering Imran and getting away with it. Sure. Let's be honest. Why don't I care about this? Because you like, don't care about Spider? I like Spider. Yeah. I really like Spider. Spider's great. I learned his real name this week, and now I've forgotten it again. Because one of the other guys doesn't call him Spider, he calls him by his real name. Jeffrey. <laughs> or they probably called him Jeff. Yes. Jeff. Does he look like a Jeff? Does he look like a Jeffrey? No. Does he look like a spider? Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> I think this is a from, I think this person is from a far left group. A far left group that Spider was involved with before he became a policeman. Which would explain the whole rat thing. Oh, yeah, they called him a well. rat. Yeah. Yeah. That's why they thought it was the far right group. That's right. But, you know, because let's remember, the whole reason why he became a policeman was because he felt let down by the far left and some of the illegal actions they were taking to stop climate change or whatever. He's a fan of fine art, I guess, and not a fan of tomato soup. Or something. Or something. That's what I suspect this is. Yeah. It's someone from his past, so the only thing we know about his past is that he was in Peru, and it's not Paddington Bear. No. And he Gav had... is wearing his <clears throat> Paddington shirt tonight. I wear this quite a lot. I love this shirt. I know. And about the, uh, the kind of tree-hugging, lefty, liberal... Mm-hmm. That he was and still is at his heart, right? But kind of that's kind of all that. The, if it's anything other than that, then it's pretty much nothing that we've been privy to, right. which feels like a cheat. If it's that, if it's right. not something that 
that makes sense for his and he past. mentions that it's something from his past right. and he does talk about the fact that he that this group that he was with in Peru were doing things that he didn't hmm. he didn't stand by and you know this will make all of the grumpy grumpies who keep tweeting woke street <laughs> will make them happy because we'll be saying that the far left is bad too oh yeah the, the both sides are the same Right, yes. <clears throat> but I still don't know why I don't care about this. <clears throat> I don't know. I kind of care. I think I will care more when we know more. I was very concerned when I thought that Sam had been kidnapped as well. Yes. But he was a little shit and just went to Roy's anyway. <laughs> right. I think I think they, they just crammed a little too much into this for the two of them. Right, on and Monday it all they happened decide, on right. On Monday, on they decide to move in together. On Wednesday, they decide to get married. And on Friday, Toya gets kidnapped. And it's like, right. I, I guess I just didn't think that Toya and Spider would rush into getting married. They don't seem like the type. They don't. And I think Toya maybe has maybe felt that from her experience with Imran, that maybe, right. maybe not getting married is... Or, sorry, maybe getting married is not high on our list of priorities anymore. Although, they're none of them getting any younger, and they have known each other since they were kids, since they were teenagers. So, maybe it does make a little bit of sense, but I don't know, it just felt like it was very rushed, and... And Spider just running about blindly from one storyline to the next. Right. Just, oh, I don't know, This just it just wasn't working for me, I'm afraid. It just wasn't working. And, and, and I'm not sure that any part of the storyline this week really did it for me. No. I didn't like seeing Toya being that that distrusting person who is going to go through somebody's stuff, although she has reason to be distrustful because of Imran and stuff. Like, I, I guess it kind of makes sense, but it just seems like between that and between letting random people in through the door it just didn't seem like Toya was employing very much common sense and Toya feels like a sensible person and yes I don't know it just it just didn't work for me no but but we've got a kidnapped Toya and we have a I guess a race against time maybe to get her back again we don't know who these people are we don't know what their demands are we don't know if there's more than one person if the, right if they were going it could to be kill, just this one woman. If they are going to kill Toya, they would have surely done it by now. So right. I don't think she's in immediate danger. But but this is going to be the focus for next week. And it just feels a shame because at the moment, I, I could give two fucks about it. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I did like about it, Toya and Sam and Spider, and Spider watching on Ghostbusters. the couch, watching Ghostbusters with yeah. them falling asleep. And Sam's glasses were at this angle. Yeah, it was very cute. That was lovely. And, and also, the way Spider's talking to Sam, you know, very cute. Called him his little cosmic cowboy. Right, yeah. That was lovely. That was very cute. Really taking to the kid. And again, I don't know if this is the first time, it's certainly a low number of times that this has happened, but after all of the problems that Leanne had bonding with sam to begin uh-huh. with because of the whole oliver thing and right understandable right right she told sam that she loved him yes 
That was nice. I think she said that before because I think I've commented on it before. But right. This doesn't happen. She every was week. so terrified that she was going to lose another kid that mm-hmm. you know, and it's and I think it was kind of tough for her because she is terrified for her sister. But she, it does seem like at least initially she's more terrified for Sam, right? Because the relief that she feels when Sam is okay, you know. And Sam in peril is even enough to pull Simon out from wherever he is, right? Yeah, that's a good character. That's mm-hmm. a good character. That kid. He asked for salt and vinegar crisps, please. Yes, he did. Oh, good kid. So cute. Oh, well, that was the week that was Coronation Street. Helen, tell me, what was your moment of the week? Um, Toya and Sam asleep in front of Ghostbusters. Was it, or was it the uh, Platts and the Barlows together? <sighs> was Tracy maybe a little too gobby? Yeah, she was a little bit, wasn't she? She went a little too far. It would have been nice if there was a little bit more evening out of the sniping. And not just relying just on Tracy to be the bad guy. Yeah, I wanted David to be given as good as, as yeah. they were getting. And right. he didn't really... And Shona was just happy to kind of laugh at some of them. Right. Shona smelling uh, Sarah was quite a good moment as well. It was like, hilarious. I don't know. I'm happy to go with the Ghostbusters moment because it was absolutely delightful. It was so cute. And after complaining about not giving a fuck about that storyline, right? here we are. Yeah, that's our moment of the week. Bloody hell, who saw that coming? Moment of the week. Uh, moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. Is it Stephen's arugula? It is Stephen's story about the laundry. <laughs> How he used to take clothes to the laundry for his mother right. and get a buck. Yeah. And I'm waiting, yes. Okay. Oh no, sure. that was the end no, of the story? No, that was the end of the story. Boring moment of the it's week. It's like... He's tried to think of a story from his past to compete with the wolf story, and that's what he comes up with. I don't know what he was trying to do. Just, just trying to start conversation with Tim's mom, who really couldn't have cared less. Right. But she was doing the laundry, so I guess he figured that was Apropos. in the wheelhouse. Mm-hmm, I guess. I guess. Oh, well, that wraps it up for another week then. Yay! Yeah, was that a year week? I don't. I don't think it was it's, a great week it's this a, week. It's a yay that we're wrapping oh, it up. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, because I was, I was less than impressed with quite a lot of that. Anyway, this episode was brought to you with thanks to our friends of the podcast, Daisy and French Helen. Bonjour. If you have a boring story about something that's kind of related to laundry, f- laundry or wolves. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Threads. You can shout me and Helen a coffee or become a friend of the podcast by heading to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our YouTube channel and merch store. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Please. And be sure to check out our pop culture sister podcast, The List of Lists. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more. Out of the street. Just talk to the street. Bye. John Doe has the upper hand. <laughs>